The following is brought to you with no commercial interruptions. Listen now. The gays love Courtney Love. Mm-hmm. Um, and is it so the like, drama or? <laughs> yeah, but also because she's, you know, gay artists and queer artists, they love women in general. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so, um, and Courtney Love, you know, despite the fact that Hole's music never sold as much as, say, like Alice in Chains or Soundgarden or Soulful mm-hmm. Pilots, she's more well known to this day, though. Like people who are Gen Z know who Courtney Love is. They don't know who Lane Staley is or who Scott mm-hmm. Weiland is, a lot of them, um, especially if they don't listen to rock. But they all know Courtney Love, you know, and they all know Nirvana. So, like there's still she has a little bit more of like a presence and like kind of legacy in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I I remember like even queer artists I know or, or queer music fans who don't really listen to much grunge, they'll post things like doll parts and they'll be like, wow, this is like the lost thing I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've actually become friends with someone through um, my fan of horror because he's a fan of horror, but he loves 90s alternative. He's like younger than me and gay, but he loves 90s alternative and holds his favorite band. Oh, cool. So he's like a huge fan of theirs as well. And like, uh, when I was waiting in line to see Kim Petrus one time, I struck up a conversation with a girl my age and I brought up grunge and she was like, oh my God, I love Hole. <laughs> like yeah. that like that was the one she was talking about. So yeah, Hole has like an interesting legacy and like they don't always get props from, I think a lot of male rock fans a lot of the time, but like outside of that sphere, they actually have a little bit more influence than a lot of the bigger grunge bands do with the younger Gen Zers who don't listen to rock as much, but mm-hmm. still listen to Nirvana and know Hole. Did you listen to her uh, WTF interview? Uh, no, I know she did one recently, right? Like, this is the recent interview yeah, she did? Yeah, it was just like last week. Yeah, he was, the guy I was just telling you about was just talking about that on Twitter the other day, just talking about the interview that she had given, and that was classic Courtney. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I'm a huge Madonna fan. Like, I'll, I'll get into that. Like, she's a huge influence. And, like, I love that MTV <laughs> uh, 95 post-show interview where Courtney Love, like... Oh, just, yeah, like, like it wasn't just, it, like, New Year's like that and no like, it was the 1995 mtv vmas where hole performed violet and madonna won for take a bow and then she's talking with kurt loader about like her upcoming like something to remember collection and then courtney love starts throwing compacts at her yeah no don't don't but like the shade that's kind of thrown by madonna at courtney throughout all of it is just like uh-huh. yeah, i could eat it up with a spoon it's so great <laughs> <laughs> And I just saw someone in like one of the Madonna podcasts I follow. Like they post a picture of Madonna that just says like Courtney Love is in dire need of attention right now. Welcome back to the Better Band Podcast. This is Brandon, of course, here to talk about the lost dog brother with guest Dougie Style, Doug Evasick. Hello, Doug. Hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's good to have you here, a first-time guest. So that means before we break off and talk about anything Pearl Jam, well, anything related to this song, mm-hmm. I need to ask you a question. Okay. When did you first hear? of Pearl Jam. 
So Pearl Jam is one of those bands that I think I heard of before I actually heard their music. So, you know, I was a kid in the early 90s. I didn't really listen to music on my own besides what was on like Disney soundtracks and my parents listened to, (laughs) which was like a lot of 80s yuppie stuff. So like I grew up on like a lot of Billy Joel, Steve Winwood, the Moody Blues, the Police, uh, Gloria Stefan, John Mellencamp, Richard Marks, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But Pearl Jam was one of those bands, and it's something that I kind of bring up to people. It's it's easy to forget now. They were the bigger band at one point than Nirvana, and you it, and you kind of see it because so many TV shows and movies back then referenced Pearl Jam. So even if I hadn't heard their music, that was a name I started hearing frequently because they're in they're mentioned in Clarissa Explains It All. They're mentioned <laughs> in an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark, where this girl wants to go see Pearl Jam and not spend the birthday with the dead old lady ghost in her apartment, which fair to her uh like (laughs) you should go see pearl jam it's the versus tour um but you know they're also referencing like fraser and wings and the simpsons and can't hardly wait and sliver and so like that's a name i had heard of but i just didn't know their music well i got into pop music around 97 thanks to the spice girls uh because i am gay and i do love my pop girls and so i remember hearing say you'll be there loving it getting that on cassette But that was my gateway drug into pop music addiction. So I started listening to radio and watching MTV every day. And so it didn't take long till Pearl Jam kind of came up on MTV. I remember that like the Jeremy video was something they were still talking about. Um, And then I remember the video came out for Do the Evolution Mm -hmm. in 98. And I remember taping that off MTV because I used to tape videos off MTV back then, kids, before you could just watch them on YouTube. Uh, whenever you wanted so i remember i thought the video was so cool so i i taped the video so that was kind of like the first pearl jam song i was probably a little bit drawn to but i just taped the video i never bought the album or anything and then of course summer 99 last kiss came out and that was inescapable so we all heard that song every day um <laughs> that summer um and then i just remember like going to the CD stores and seeing in 2000, 2001, like all those live albums that they were putting out at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- I was like, damn, this <laughs> this band has a lot of live albums. And then I started getting into alternative rock a little bit more directly than pop music around the beginning of the aughts. And that was because of Stone Double Pilots, actually. And Sour Girl, the music video really caught my eye that summer, I remember. And then I really loved the song. And then for Christmas of 01, I eventually got Purple, by Stone Temple Pilots. And I started listening to it all the time and I just kind of fell in love with it. And then as we were talking about a little bit before the show, you know, I kind of got to 2002 and realized I didn't really like much of anything that was happening in pop music anymore or rock music for that matter. Mm -hmm. And so I started looking back more and I started listening to rock radio more. And I remember I was in my photography class in 10th grade and we had the dark room and we used to have the radio on in there. And I remember standing outside the dark room and hearing this song. And that song was Even Flow by Pearl Jam. And I remember really liking it and kind of recognizing it, hearing it maybe from like, because I'd seen it VH1's Behind the Music on 92 and 94. And so I started looking up Pearl Jam more. And eventually like summer of 2002 is really when I got into grunge. And I remember I woke up one morning and went downstairs and went on the website Opinions. I don't know if anyone remembers that site anymore. And I just looked up all the grunge bands and read reviews. And then that summer I bought 10. And then within the fall, I bought Versus. And then I bought Riot Act because that had just come out. And I remember hearing I Am Mine on the radio. And then for Christmas, I asked for the rest of the albums. And so by the mm-hmm. end of 2002, I had every studio album by Pearl Jam from 10 through Riot Act. Um, and what year was that again? About? Okay. That was by the end of 02. 
basically. So I like kind of got into like I heard even flow, and then I really got into grunge. And by the end of two thousand two, I was like grunge was like my new number one genre. I was like super into it and always discovering more. And Pearl Jam. I think quickly ascended the ranks to being probably my second favorite after Stone Temple Pilots. So Alice in Chains is up there mm-hmm. too. So I feel like Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains are always like neck and neck with one another for me. Yeah, I think that like yeah. sometimes they'll say, like some people will say it's like, oh, you know, Stone Temple Pilots was sort of like the ripoff of Pearl Jam or something like that. But I think it's just because everybody was used to in the 80s, like everybody sort of singing right. up here, doing all that sort of stuff. And then when anybody <laughs> yeah. sings lower it's like, whoa, and Eddie was like the first person to do that. And then Scott Weiland comes in, he sings a little bit lower. And yeah. It's like, well, he's just ripping him off. And it's like, well, you know, people can right. sing more than one range. So, I mean. I know. Yeah, I know. And then it's funny. It's like that everyone's singing that baritone. Like we went from the high screech to the baritone in no time. Yeah. But Crash test uh, dummies. With Scott, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's real baritone. Um, uh, yeah, for sure. But yeah, Stoltable Pilots, I think they were they were a better gateway drug for me because I had come from a pop music background. So like I was really into the pop divas initially. So like after the Spice Girls, I really got into like Madonna mm-hmm. and Janet Jackson and Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston. And like that was the first time I really went back and discovered older music by artists was through those pop divas because I would hear like the Velvet Rope or Ray of Light or the Butterfly album. But then I'd be like, oh, they have all this other material. Mm-hmm. I should check it out. So that was like kind of the beginning of me also checking out older music. So by the time I kind of got more into grunge, I was like already kind of used to the idea of going back to older music again. Um, but it really went into overdrive once grunge hit. And I kind of just like lived in 90s alternative through a good portion of the aughts because I wasn't as thrilled with like culture and pop culture during the aughts. And the 90s just seemed a lot more um Yeah, I think alluring. that's probably one like one of the only sort of good things now about like everything sort of being available and stuff like that's pretty easy Mm -hmm. so that you don't have to like okay i gotta figure out where my closest record store is or i guess walmart or something but they're not (laughs) gonna have everything and you know try to dig through stuff and find things that's also yeah but that was also like the height of like the ucd bin like oh, the, yeah, the yeah. bargain bins and so like that's where i'd find a lot of these albums and i do some like digging i remember like one birthday i got 20 bucks from my brother and i ended up getting five cds with that from the used bargain bins so, like all 90s like got sponges album for 99 cents rotting pinata got like uh dishwalla's album for two dollars got what's the story morning glory for like six dollars um like that's like when i would go to like um newberry comics or strawberries mm-hmm. which eventually became an fye that was near me like i used to just go through those back bin of like ucds all the time and like yeah i could get like a bunch of cds for a lot cheaper and also summer 2002 is yeah, when yeah. i started working part-time so i started getting like in- i started getting income and cash and we had a record store in newport and i used to work at the newport marriott and i would wait for my dad to take me home so i would go to that record store a lot and buy things i remember that summer i bought like the dvd uh music video compilations for allison chains mm-hmm. with music bank and the smashing pumpkins one as well um i bought like both of those there and used to watch <laughs> those like every morning <laughs> before like school uh, all the time so then um did you get a chance to have you seen uh pearl jam live then Yes. So, um, yeah, by the end of 2002, I was like all in on Pearl Jam. And of course, they were like the only big grunge band that was still operating at that point in time. Um, You know, we started getting the super groups like uh, Audio Slave and Velvet Revolver. So Chris Cornell and Scott Weiland were kind of back on rock radio, but with different bands. 
Um, and of course, this is when Allison Chains was deep into inactivity and Lane had just died, yeah. basically. So there was like no hope that that was coming back. Um, and, you know, Kurt had been long dead. Screaming Trees had broken up even at that point. Um, so Pearl Jam was like the only game in town. And I remember when they announced uh, the Ride Act tour, I really wanted to go. And it's like kind of right before everything was digital. So that music store I was just telling you about in Newport, I remember in, going with my dad and waiting in line to get tickets for the Ride Act tour with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I went with my friend to see it. And that's like just when I got my license to drive and everything too. So that was like the first concert I drove to myself and went without my parents, like fully. Like I'd seen Britney Spears by myself once before my dad dropped me off. <laughs> um, and I was actually at the same place. Funnily enough, where I saw Britney was the uh, first time was the same place I also saw Pearl Jam the first time. Um, and yeah, it was for the Riot Act tour and I bought a Riot Act shirt there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still have that shirt. It's very raggedy, a lot of holes in it, <laughs> but it still <laughs> exists. Um, and yeah, I loved it. And that's... Um, that's the show where I really got into Go. That was like the second song they performed live. And I remember just being blown away by that one on stage. Um, and then the second time I saw them was 06 when they were touring behind the Avocado album, as mm-hmm. it's sometimes referred to. Um, and I saw them at the Fleet Center at the time in Boston. Um, so it was a bigger venue. Um, and that was another great show as well. Um, and yeah, that, but, but they were like the only bands you could see at that time. And then I think by the late 2000s, when everyone started getting back together, I haven't seen Pearl Jam live again, and I really want to. But I think part of that was like, well, now I can see Stone Temple Pilots. Now I can see Soundgarden. Now I can yeah, see yeah. Alice in Chains. Like, I was starting to see all those other bands more and, and also realized like, my window of opportunity may be slim. So I have to take it while I can. Um, and good thing, because, you know, Chris Cornell and Scott aren't here anymore. So I was yeah, able yeah. to at least see those bands with those front men um, during the late aughts, early 2010s, uh, before they passed away, tragically. So then uh, where did you see them in, uh, in 2003? Um, so I saw them, they were, it was like in um, Massachusetts. It wasn't in Boston. It, it was, was it like, yeah, yeah. And it was like an outdoor setting, basically. Um, and like I said, I'd been there to see Britney once before. Eventually I would see Stone Temple Pilots there with um, Filter and Everlast at like the River Raven 08. Um, and I also saw 311 with Snoop Dogg there with my brother. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's the first time I saw Pearl Jam. That was like, it was like called the Tweeter Center at the yeah. time, I think. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it's called now, but it was called the Tweeter Center at the time. And that's the first time I saw them live was at that show. And it was the first of three nights. I remember they yeah. announced the third night during the first night. And then they announced that they were going to do different songs for each of the three nights, which like the diehards love. But I was like, oh, I'm only here for one though. <laughs> <laughs> so, but luckily they did Even Flow, which is my favorite. And they did it both times I saw them. So as long as I heard Even Flow, I was fine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but the second show I remember is the one where I got to finally hear like Rearview Mirror, Alive, uh, Corduroy, uh, yellow lead better like he- hearing some of the big iconic ones that came at like the second show at the fleet center mm-hmm. i remember so but i still haven't heard them do um jeremy daughter or better man live yeah those are those, uh, i think i think uh this this past tour they they broke out a lot more into the older sort mm-hmm. of hits and stuff like that i think it's mostly just because they hadn't like played like in three years because of COVID and stuff. So it's kind of like, Oh, sure. you know, let's, let's <laughs> yeah. make sure everybody hears the songs they want to hear. And next mm-hmm. tour we'll, I don't know, maybe get back to just doing weird wacky stuff and everything. 
Yeah, yeah. So like I said, I saw him in 06, and then 09 kind of turned out to be a pretty good year for Pearl Jam, I think. And I, I think that kind of leads us into the song we're getting to here in a second. Yeah, but yeah. like, that's the year they dropped both um, Backspacer, which had the fixer, which that in some ways was like, people loved that song. I remember someone I was working with at the time being like, that's their best song since Evenflow, they yeah. said to me. Like, and I remember my mom liked it, and the video was all over VH1 at the time, and like Rock Radio was playing it, and it was like, a really big deal um but it had come also after brother which had ascended to number one on the alternative <laughs> rock chart even though it's like a song from 91 which just proves like how much people still love 10 that they could like just release an outtake from 10 and it could still go number one on the alternative rock chart <laughs> yes uh, i believe that uh brother uh which is uh written by stone gossard with lyrics by eddie vetter uh was recorded during the 10 sessions and then released First on uh, Lost Dogs with no vocals, yes. uh, Mike McCready sort of plays guitar over it with melody lines and stuff like that, using a lot of uh, wah and phaser and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, it started getting played like on radio and stuff like that because like, oh, it sounds like old Pearl Jam. Oh. Yeah. And it's by Lost Dogs. I remember when that was coming out, that came out the same day that Stone Temple Pilots' Greatest Hits came out, mm-hmm. I remember. Um, and so I got the special edition of the Greatest Hits so I could get the music videos for Stone Temple Pilots. Because again, this is before YouTube. Yeah. Um, so I remember I went there and I bought that and Lost Dogs the same the same day as one another when they came out. Um, and I did gravitate to quite a few songs on there, but the instrumental brother, I didn't just because it was an instrumental. So I kind of yeah, forgot yeah. about the song when the lyrical version dropped but i remember hearing it on rock radio and just being like oh my god this sounds like 10 era pearl jam <laughs> i was like mm-hmm. this sounds like it could be next to even flow and alive and i remember i called my brother about it because i wanted to talk to him and just be like you know i heard brother by pearl jam and it just reminded me to call you and um it's a great song and that sounds like it's from 10 and then of course <laughs> quickly i learned oh it is from 10 <laughs> yeah, yeah so <laughs> but yeah, at, the, uh, at the moment i was just like wow look at them recording a new song that sounds like 10 they're giving the people <laughs> what they want <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, later with the uh, 10 uh, Redux, uh, reissue, remaster, all that sort of stuff, they uh, released a version with the lyrics. Um, There is another sort of alternate version that has a couple different lyrics floating Mm -hmm. around out there. I don't know which one was first. Um, It sounds like a different take. On it, it the the the, mm. the bridge is a little bit different. Some of the chorus lines are different. Uh, mm. I know that like back in the late '90s, my friend found Brother like online, Ooh, and he okay. had it, like on a mix CD with a bunch of other sort of like rare stuff. And like, oh, dude, yeah. but, like you know, it sounded super crappy from like, you know, yeah, yeah. Like, those early days of Napster and LimeWire. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I remember those days. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> it's so weird like i have a i had a burnt copy of coldplay's rush of blood to the head and it's like i'm not used to hearing it without all the bleeps and bloops yeah 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 <laughs> throughout it like i'm just used to that uh let's see in the uh if everybody uh gets their lost dog booklets and uh turns it to the brother page mm-hmm. uh you'll see that uh written uh mike says the song caused an argument between Jeff and Stone back in the day. I put guitars Ooh. all over it because Ed asked me to. And then Jeff says, I freaking loved the, I freaking loved this Stone riff in 1991. In fact, when Stone said he was over it and didn't want to play it anymore, I nearly quit the band. What a fucking baby. <laughs> I, I do remember going out to the seven-foot hoop behind London Bridge where we were, 
where we were recording and dunking until my wrists were bleeding. Ah, passive aggressive rage makes for some good rock and roll, my brother. <laughs> yeah, I love that too. Like, because it also reminds me of the story where they talk about how Green River broke up because the members who would go on to form Mud Honey didn't like Jane's addiction. They're like, well, this band's not going to work anymore. Like, it kind of like how like Jeff and Ben is just like a, a little bit of like a diva in that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like this band's over. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the the oh man, the the nineties were such a time of uh, you know, authenticity and I don't want to sell yeah. out, man. And sure, I, I need know. to be miserable, but then there's like oh, people <laughs> like, uh you know what? Uh being able to like live with in my own house without having to have like eight other people in there and being able to I know. afford heat all the time and <laughs> you know, yeah. that's a, kind of a nice thing. Yeah, I, are, you, are you quoting that from, like, the grunge book from, like, 09, where they're basically talking about, like, they're throwing shade at, like, Mud Honey by basically, like, yeah, it's really cool to be punk, but it's not cool to be sleeping in your parents' basement. Yeah. <laughs> when you're, like, in your 20s and 30s, and, like, I want to wake up at 4 a.m. and go to work every day and, like, bus tables. You know, I want to I wanna enjoy what I do. So, yeah, the 90s, it's so weird to, like, try to talk about that with younger kids, too, like, this idea of authenticity and, like, and, like what's, like, oh, you can't like this, you can like that. It's like, that still exists today in a much different fashion. But like in the 90s, it's so weird. It's like having cred was sometimes more important (laughs) than anything else. Like it's, and I talk about too, like how this bizarre trend starts where it's like you have this huge breakthrough album. And so like, well, the follow-up album, you got to like challenge your audience and alienate portions of them because like, that's what you did then. That's how you proved your authenticity. So it's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, we got to shed some of your audience. Like, who thinks that way? Like in no other time in pop music history was that like, yeah, 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 that's the game plan. We got to shed the audience and alienate them and challenge them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like even Bush did that with like Razorblade Suitcase with Steve Albini, like the band that was people said was just created to like capitalize on grudge. Even they were like, well, we got to alienate some people on the next album. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, they're on the playbook, you know, it's like, oh, well, that's what everybody else yep. does. I guess we got to do it too. Yeah, you know, and like Pearl Jam kind of helped cement that with Versus being like, we're not going to make music videos anymore, you know, yeah. like, screw that, like, we're going to do our own thing. And of course, looking back, Pearl Jam was right, you know, like, the fact that they're the only band that weathered that entire storm and made it through more or less fully intact, take a drummer or three, um, it's just kind of proof that, like, they were right. They do what they were doing. They were the ones that were able to figure it out in a way that none of their peers really did, unfortunately. Well, there are, um, I mean, just from what I can think of off the top of my head, like um, Green Day and Weezer are kind of like, we will keep doing the same thing over and over again, Mm -hmm. which, um, you know. Especially Weezer. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah. Weezer just like, it's like, I'm going to make a spreadsheet of uh, the lyrics and uh, riffs and uh, put them together. And but uh, Yeah, I mean. Yeah, Weezer's one of those bands where, like, I I honestly actually think their only great album is the Blue Album. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that album from start to finish. Um, and I think The World Is Turned and Left Me is their best song. Um, but, like, I don't even think Pinkerton's that hot. Like, people, like, love Pinkerton. I'm like, eh, it's okay. Um, and then, like, the aughts, it's like, each album had one or two good singles, but that's about it. Like, the rest of it's garbage. And then after that, I, like, just dropped off completely. Like I haven't listened to like the last five or six Weezer albums at this mm-hmm. point. There's like a new one every six months. So it's, it's easy <laughs> to fall behind with Weezer pretty quickly. But yeah, it's really just like the blue album that I care about with them at this point at time where Pearl Jam, I do listen to a lot of their earlier stuff the most, but I do listen to like all their stuff um, at some point. 
especially when I get into big grunge modes and whatnot. Like I'll I'll dig deeper into like binaural and um, like no code and yield and like I said, wide act. I've always had like a soft spot for maybe because it came out when I first became a fan. So I've always kind of liked a lot of deep tracks on that, like you are and can't keep and green disease quite mm-hmm. a bit. Yeah, because like yeah, Pearl Jam like each album is sort of like oh, I'm in the mood for this. I'm in the mood for mm-hmm. this. So you can put on a different album and be given a different experience where like you were saying like uh you didn't like pinkerton that much or something like that i think uh, like a lot of sort of weird hardcore fans are like oh no pinkerton's their best one where kind of that was the one where they did something a little bit different right and so that's the (laughs) one that people are grasping onto yes and then like everything else are like oh well let's just try to do the same thing over and over again to try to be popular and everything right green day I think like one of their most popular ones is American Idiot or something. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that one, they try to do a little bit something different there. Mm-hmm. And then everything else is kind of like, oh, well, we got to be, you know, punk and everything. And, you know, yeah. uh, Billy Joe is still dying his hair black. And it's like, well, who the I hell know. are you kidding? <laughs> but Green Day is interesting because like, I, I would argue that after Pearl Jam and Nirvana's Nevermind Intent, I think Dookie is the third most influential album of 90s rock. And like, mm-hmm. it pretty much created emo and punk pop and like, Green Day has a lot of cultural cachet with like millennials and Gen Zers in a way that like a lot of grunge bands besides Nirvana don't have anymore. So like mm-hmm. there's something about Green Day that really reaches over to a younger audience I've noticed. Um, and American Idiot was just like, I was surprised by how huge it was at the time. Not because I didn't think it was good, but because it was just like, I didn't think that they had that kind of comeback in them. Um, and and then it became like the biggest thing they'd ever done since Dookie. Um, and it really did bring like a whole nother generation of fans into their, um, fold, which I think has helped them become one of the last real iconic rock bands around like Pearl Jam. Like everybody knows who Green Day is. Everybody knows who Pearl Jam is. Everybody knows who the Foo Fighters are. Everybody knows who the Red Chili Peppers are. Mm -hmm. But like after... A certain point, like not everybody knows who KG Elephant is. Not everybody knows who Silver Sun Pickups are. Not everybody knows who Death Cab for Cutie is. You know, like you can bring up those bands and people who don't listen to rock radio. Um, they don't know who you're talking about, you know, but like Pearl Jam is still a name that like when you bring them up, people are like, yeah, I know who that band is. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Back to uh, 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 Big Brother uh, or no, just a uh, brother, which I guess is <laughs> just brother. A, a, a could be seen as a reference to uh, Big Brother from the novel 1984 by George Orwell. I can believe uh, that. <laughs> yeah, sort of um, signifying a surveillance state and everything, which is mm-hmm. kind of prescient, uh, kind of bad or kind of prophetic, I guess maybe uh, in a yeah. way before the Patriot Act and everything. But I mean, that's sort of inspired by sort of the surveillance mm-hmm. culture and uh, yeah. CCTV in England and everything like that going on. Well, that was before then even, but in like the eighties and everything like that. Um, it could also be sort of, I think like, cause lyrically, uh, where's the lyrics? Uh, it could be sort of seen as possibly also like family drama too, because mm. uh chorus, you know, little sister, you and me can rise above. Yeah. And we know, know Eddie's got a lot of family drama. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I believe that as well. <laughs> so mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, um, thinking like maybe it could be related to like the alive mama son trilogy mm. sort yep. of thing. Like maybe it's like the same family or something sure. or. Yeah. Yeah, I could hear like, that. You know, that. 
yeah, that brother could be the uh, the guy who grows up to being alive in footsteps and stuff. Yeah. Or uh, once in footsteps. Yeah, maybe it's a prequel, you know, to all yeah, yeah. that. Yeah. I can buy that. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, you mentioned you, uh, you have a brother? Yes, I have a younger brother who's four years younger than me. And um, eventually my obsession with the 90s alternative would eventually uh, wear off on him as well. Um, the mm-hmm. band he got into the most was 311. I remember when I brought home their greatest hits my freshman year of college, he fell more in love with them than me. Um, mm-hmm. So that became like his favorite band. And he likes a lot of funk and like slap bass stuff. So like he got really into like Incubus and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. He also really likes Tool. Um, but of the grunge bands, his two favorites are Soundgarden and Alice in Chains. Um, but he likes Pearl Jam and all of them too. So mm-hmm. he has never seen Pearl Jam live. I've taken him to see Soundgarden, Stone Temple Pilots, Alice in Chains. I took him to see 311. I've taken him to see Jane's Addiction with Nine Inch Nails. Um, and we've seen a lot of other rock bands together, but I've never gotten him to see Pearl Jam. I keep meeting to him. Like, I got to take you to see them. <laughs> I was like, you got to see mm-hmm. Pearl Jam. Like, you do. You got to at least see them once live um, at some point. But yeah, I've just never gotten around to that with my brother. So it's on the bucket list. Yeah, I, got, <laughs> I have uh, two younger brothers and uh, we grew up in the late 80s, early 90s. So it was a lot of uh, latchkey. Oh, you know, yeah. you're old enough to watch your siblings so make sure they don't fight and uh yeah you know, <laughs> yeah and, or set uh too many fires mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to things and i was kind of yeah. like oh man this is kind of I'm, I'm i'm a kid i'm not a parent so i'm not supposed to be doing this <laughs> stuff right now yeah but uh that's that's the way things were but mm-hmm. um let's see um yeah they, they first played the song on uh february 7th 1991 uh it was like their eighth show okay yeah the seventh or eighth show and uh it was like the same show where they debuted garden as well mm-hmm. from which uh, i love that's actually one of my favorite deep cuts by them especially off mm-hmm. of 10 like outside the trio of hit singles that's probably my fourth favorite song um off of 10 i love that like intro which apparently creed does too because they've used that intro to their songs at least four or five times hmm yeah, and, and then they didn't play it <laughs> uh, for uh, years and years yeah. until uh, 2009. Mm, yeah, that is a long time. Out again. Yeah. Um, I love that one, though. Yeah, it is very... You listen to it and you're like, oh, yeah, this is like early Pearl Jam. It's got just yeah. kind of like the groovy sort of riff. And... Um, you can kind of tell, you know, Ed isn't rhyming in his lyrics, which is something that, you know, the first album didn't have mm. too much of at all. Yeah. Um, and it's also what, just a reminder uh, of, like, the production of that first album. You know, like, obviously the band and Eddie in particular, like, poo-poo on the production now, and, like, just like Kurt did with Nevermind. But, like, mm-hmm. you know, that production is a big reason why that album appealed to so many people. Because, like, there was a sense of mystery to it. And, like, this sense of, like, Ooh, what's this band about? You know what I mean? Like it kind of draws you into this world. And like, as much as I do like the follow-up albums, like Versus and Vitology and kind of the more raw uh, angle that they went a little bit later, like I still think there's something to that production on that first album that still holds up, that still is very ear grabbing to people. And I think that's why Mm -hmm. when like they put out Brother, like even if people didn't know it was an outtake from 10 everyone's like oh yeah this is like i remember when pearl jam sounded like this this is like when everybody listened to pearl jam um mm-hmm. 
you know? So I still think that that first album's production is great. And I think that the band like kind of craps on it unnecessarily at times. <laughs> so then uh, what do you think about the uh, Redux? I don't really care for it. I know some fans do like it more because it's more of what like the band says they want now. Um, mm-hmm. And it's probably closer to maybe what the band sounds like live. Um, for sure, but no, I'm I'm a purist. I I'm all about the production of the first album. I don't need. I don't even like the re-recorded version of Even Flow that's used as like the single or music video. Like I still prefer mm-hmm. the album version from the you know original production for Ten for Even mm-hmm. Flow as well. So yeah, I'm I'm a purist. I'm definitely more about the original production. Hmm. Um. Let's see. Uh, what sort of um. Where do you think the lyrics in the song kind of go? Do you think it is sort of like uh, more like a family drama or do you think it is sort of like a big brother government sort of? Yeah, I mean, the early early Pearl, like I feel like early Pearl Jam was a lot more like family drama and a little bit more personal um, in a Mm -hmm. lot of their lyric writing. And it was more, I think, of almost about like personal tragedies than like global tragedies as they try to tackle later. Um, in their career so it almost seems like that could be it but I know that they worked on the lyrics over the years and so like they could have added a little bit more later that maybe is a little bit more like broader in general Um, but because it's from 10 and it's so directly tied to 10 I'm more apt to think that it's more about family drama and probably connects closer to something like the once footsteps alive trilogy than maybe the more overtly political stuff that they would try to do a little bit later Mm -hmm. Yeah, because that other, um, the the lyrical change in it, I mean, like, originally it's, uh, and, and even in the first show, he has these lyrics, which is, uh, Little Sister, You and Me Can Rise Above, but in uh, the other version, it's, uh, with a push-in being pushed from above. But, you know, we're mentioning Little Sister, you kind of mm-hmm. get the family vibe, and, like, being pushed from above mm-hmm. kind of gives it, I think, a more... Um, general sense where it could be a brother the big brother represents sort of you know Mm -hmm. anything you know at that point it could be the government it could be you know anything where it's in charge of you i guess if that's the big brother and you're the little brother then and you're just uh submissive i guess at that uh in that dynamic yeah yeah yeah, like I said, I, I'm I'm more apt to go with the more family drama type stuff, but I mean, this one's definitely open to interpretation uh, for sure. I think a little bit more, I think early Pearl Jam lyrics are a little bit more direct in some ways in some of their later work, depending. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like it's kind of like we know what Even Flow's about. It's about a homeless guy. Uh, we know what Daughter's about. We know what Better Man's about. Not everyone always knows what it's about when they're listening to it, but I know what it's about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe not the people dedicating it to each other on love songs from Delilah know what Better Man's <laughs> about, but um, I do. Um, but yeah, Brother, I think because it's it, even though it came from that era, it came out so much later that it hasn't probably been overanalyzed the same way that a lot of their earlier material is. So I think it's, it is more open to interpretation as to like what this song is ultimately about. Yeah. And and you mentioned daughter. Uh this isn't to be confused with <laughs> yes. uh, daughter, which was originally going to be called brother. Oh, okay. So I, I think probably that could be why maybe they didn't um play this song. Yeah, maybe. That, I don't know. Or 
Do you think that this song would have fit in on 10 at all? Yeah, I definitely think it would have. I think, I think it, I mean, it's, it plops right in sonically, both lyrically and musically. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's 10 has 11 tracks, but like this could easily be the 12th track. You know, this could be a 12 track album with, with brother, maybe being like the song that leads off the second half of the album. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I do think that it has a really strong appeal because it sounds so much like 10 era Pearl Jam that it's like even people who maybe have kind of fallen off with Pearl Jam, because most people usually do, unless you become a 10 head and become like a real Pearl Jam fan. I know most people I talk to usually fall off at some point, whether they fell off after Versus or after Vitology or after Binaural, whenever it was. Um, But like, I think Brothers, like it was a strong reminder of like why everybody loved Pearl Jam in the first place, I think. Um, and I think that's why it was so refreshing when it came out. I was like, oh, yeah, this is when everybody loved Pearl Jam. Yeah, the, I, 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 it could be that maybe it was just too too many, like, rockers. Mm-hmm. Then maybe on 10, it makes it, like, sound a little bit too aggressive. Where it, And then mm-hmm. maybe it overshadows, like, Black or Oceans. Mm-hmm. Sort of, of like that, if there's, like, too much rock or something like that on it. Yeah. Um, I know because you do get the sort of bro dude, sort of hyper masculine, like oh yeah, pro gym, backwards baseball hat wearing guys, yeah. you know, kind of like oh, I even flow is just a rock song. It's not about anything, right? right. You know, uh, uh, political or anything. Yeah, that's a, that was a tight, you know, that was a tight rope that Pearl Jam did at the beginning. There, where like they were both brainy enough for some people, but 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 rock enough for others, and like they they could kind of hold a pretty wide audience for a while, but I think the more they got overtly political and the more causes they took up, which they were usually right about like mm-hmm. Ticketmaster, as we're all learning, um, you know, but it did alienate people, unfortunately. Um, and I think that's ultimately it, it's interesting. Cause I think Pearl jam has such a direct connection to like their real hardcore fans. Like the real fans of Pearl jam really are like, dedicated to them in a way that like few rock bands ever get and that's kind of helped them soldier through and be the band they always want to be but i think i think the reason that pearl jam doesn't maybe have like this eternal appeal the way that nirvana always does is that like kurt's lyrics were vague enough and he also died early enough that like kurt can be anything to anyone at any time and so everyone can relate to him we're Pearl Jam eventually becomes more specific about what they're about and what they stand for. And, and unfortunately that alienated certain portions of the audience that, you know, basically left them. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it kind of, I've noticed that like, even with younger Gen Zers, like Pearl Jam, as much as I love them, they just don't seem to have the same reach that Nirvana still does. I still see like kids wearing Nirvana shirts and still listening to Nirvana and, and like Mm -hmm. Nirvana even entered the top 10 again last year with something in the way from the new Batman movie. Like, yeah. you know, it, 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 it's, it is interesting to watch. Cause like Nirvana may not be my favorite, but I can't deny that like there is this eternal resonance to the band that like continues to keep them kind of just like vital. Um, but I think when brother came out, it was kind of like a throwback, kind of like something in the way where it was like, Oh yeah. Remember 10? Like everybody loved that album. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Like, and obviously radio loves 10. Cause like that record has never left rock radio. Like it, it, yeah, yeah. it is the bedrock of alternative rock radio for like over 30 years now, that album, <laughs> like yeah. it's, it's still there. You're still listening to modern rock stations, play songs off a 30 year old album. 
And they're playing it on classic rock too. So. Yeah, exactly. Now it's like on both stations <laughs> at this point. Uh, let's see. There's an, uh, man. I, I, I don't know if it's just me, me being stereotypical or something mm-hmm. or yeah. bring it up. Uh, yeah. Just cause you're the guest. It says, uh, the lyric in the closet, my pleasures, because big brother, brother don't want to just let me be. Mm-hmm. There's, um, I, I don't know. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they would have sort of shied away from mentioning or sort of, um, uh, crap, what's the word I'm looking for? Sort of alluding, there we go, okay. <laughs> alluding to sort of homosexuality or anything mm. like that. But yeah. Um, like it's like oh we you know we don't want to scare away anybody but because I mean plus two they they are about reproductive rights and everything there's yep. Ed writing pro-choice yep on his arm and mm-hmm. um, be unplugged and everything like that and and we stand <laughs> yeah 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 and uh, sort of I don't know does is is that something like if if this album was put out. And there's a lyric like that. Do you think it would have more? Because, because of course, you know, you speak for the entire uh, <laughs> a, community. Uh, yes, yes, of course. Um, no. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, part of the reason I really got into grunge when I was gay is that, like, I, I, it was definitely at the peak of me being in the closet, like, at that point mm-hmm. when I was 16. I just, I knew I was gay, but I just wasn't going to tell anyone. I was just going to get through high school, basically, and have it be done. Um, but I found that there was something very comforting about grunge because there was like, they weren't necessarily angry at their parents or the world, but they had a lot of this like internal struggle that they were dealing mm-hmm. with that made them feel isolated. Like Lane, especially from Alice in Chains, really taps into that for me. And I think that's why I'm so drawn to Alice in Chains' music because emotionally I feel something with Lane very strongly. Like even though I've never been a drug addict, the idea of not relating to anyone around you and kind of losing yourself um, by yourself is something that I felt very strongly growing up. Um, yeah, feeling lot... you always have something to hide, something yeah. you can't let other people know about. Right, and and Pearl Jam's, you know, their music, it, it, I've always said, like, Pearl Jam really speaks for victims a lot of the time in their music. They talk about people mm-hmm. who are sexually abused, who are physically abused, who are kind of like left behind in society and i think that was the thing about pearl jam i think pearl jam more than the other grunge bands had the most compassion for their audience um Mm -hmm. and i think that that's something that comes through in something like brother and i think it comes through in something like better man and daughter and even flow and jeremy um and rearview mirror um like to me they're the band about survival and they're it's not just them it's also their audience and i think that's kind of what make such a strong bond between Pearl Jam and their fans. is like this idea that like they both survive something together. Um, and I think that's very resonant and very strong. And I think brother does tap into that um, to an extent. Uh, so I, I, I know for me, like, there's a lot of personal reasons I love grunge. Yeah. Maybe they didn't say these things directly because you couldn't back them, but at the same time, they would say these things more directly in interviews as well. Mm-hmm. Like they would say things, either in the liner notes, like Nirvana with Incesticide or Pearl Jam would, like you said, with pro-choice, like they weren't afraid to share their opinions on these type of things, which is not the kind of thing you saw before this a lot in rock music, you know, especially in the 80s. Like mainstream rock 
music wasn't doing that, <laughs> you know, like it was doing mm-hmm. it in the underground, but it wasn't doing it in the mainstream in the way that like they would talk about women's rights. They would talk about racism. They would call out like homophobic, you know, people like that's something that I always really drew me to grunge and why I always felt like grunge almost felt like a safe space. I guess that's a, a, the best way to put it for me. It felt like a safe space for me to deal with a lot of my own emotions by myself um, and kind of feel like I had someone to almost like relate to in a way and someone I could kind of like explore my own emotions through. Like, I feel like the music almost like spoke for me in a way that I couldn't back then about mm-hmm. what I was going through and what I was feeling. And I think Pearl Jam's music is especially resonant for me in that way. Um, and I think that's why Alice and Pearl Jam are my favorites because I think I'm the most emotionally attached to them of the big four. Yeah, it's kind of odd that you know, in the eighties, it was guys wearing makeup and having teased hair and yeah. <laughs> you know, wearing tights and stuff like that, dressing very flamboyant. Right. And then, but that sort of be sort of hyper masculine and being like, Oh yeah, yeah women yeah. and partying yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And then it's these guys who are dressed up like lumberjacks <laughs> mm-hmm. who are wearing like big old boots and stuff that are more sort of like, you know, we're the underdogs, which I think yeah. is, is, you know, goes along, I think heavily with support for women mm-hmm. in LGBTQA sort of, of, of rights and everything like that is, you know, like, I mean, and, and, and also, uh, 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 people of uh, other races and stuff too. It's kind of like, yeah. you know, they're the ultimate underdogs. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't you be supportive of them? You know, I mean like America quote unquote during its formation and everything was the underdog, you know, that's mm-hmm. part of, I think the culture of this country is sort of, you know, you want to see the person who is being subjugated sort of rise above you know yeah. unless of course you're doing the subjugating like right. with, uh, native right. americans and right. you know black yeah. people being slaves yeah i mean so. there's a lot of problems at the beginning too <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah there's a lot, there's a lot but, of problems in the bedrock but <laughs> yeah but i think like in the 90s that was coming mm-hmm. that was being sort of you know let's give the underdogs a chance let's give yeah you know the people who aren't in the limelight sort of a a, a leg up. Yeah, I mean, that's why I find those five years so fascinating. Like, to me, like, like 91 to about 97, like, basically from, like, Nevermind in 10 till the death of, like, Lollapalooza um, Mm -hmm. and, like, Radiohead's OK Computer. Like, that kind of era is just, like, it's an era that will never really happen again. It's just one of those things where it's, like, this weirdness kind of came out of left field and it redefined what, like, popular music and fashion and youth culture was for like mm-hmm. a couple of years in a way that was like anti-capitalism, anti-conformity, like but also, like you said, like for the underdog and for the people who felt like they were voiceless or didn't have voices and like rock music kind of being used again in a way that hadn't been used maybe since like the 60s. Yeah, um, yeah. In a way of like kind of like, oh, maybe we can use like our popularity for social change at the same time. You know, like in the 80s, there wasn't a lot of that. There was a little bit with like you too going on Mm -hmm. um but they were also outside of america um and like the british rock scene is a very different hierarchy than the american rock scene um in terms of like what is expected out of bands both musically and um emotionally (laughs) uh from that area so yeah you're right like we we went through the 80s with this like really queer very gay aesthetic 
through the decade. And yet it was an extremely conservative time. And mm-hmm. it was also the spread of the AIDS epidemic and like national leaders doing nothing about it. Um, and so it's kind of this weird juxtaposition where 80s music feels very gay on the surface, but underneath it's very conservative and conformative. Where with mm-hmm. grunge, it's like hyper masculine looking, but lyrically it's very different from what the 80s had been about. And it's a lot more liberal and progressive. Um, And I think sometimes even fans of those bands miss just how liberal some of those bands are in retrospect. I think sometimes that gets forgotten um, in a way that can be frustrating for me because it's like, no, these bands are super liberal. I don't understand why you don't see that. (laughs) Like it's, it's clear from all the interviews and everything that Pearl Jam and Nirvana and whatnot were super liberal. Um, But yeah, like just the fact that like, I think that was some of the first times like seeing him write pro-choice, like kind of seeing bands like talk about like political stuff that like you'd be afraid to talk about before because it would alienate people, but you didn't give a shit back then. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's, that was kind of refreshing about that era was that it felt like people like Eddie Vedder and Kurt Cobain had no filter. And -hmm. like, that was, that was what was refreshing about that era was there was no filter for a while. And then it felt like there was a filter again during the aughts in a lot of ways. Um, Or then it was just like things that were more problematic, like using more like gay slurs and rap music at the time. And, Mm -hmm. um, and also like some of the toxic masculinity seeping back into post grunge with like Puddle of Mud, um, which is why like, I've never been like a fan of some of those bands in general. Like they sound, they sound, yeah, like they sound like the early nineties, but like they miss the point lyrically completely. So um, it's not really the same in my opinion, a lot of it. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, it, it 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 was a magical era, and brother kind of just reminds you of like the magic of that era. <laughs> I think that's a that's a good place to to, yeah. to wrap up, bringing it back and uh, all that sort of stuff. Uh, Doug Dougie style, if you will. Yeah. Uh, let's see. You are out there. I found you online, and you yeah. you have quite a presence. Why don't you uh, <laughs> let people know uh, where they can find you and uh, what you're all about and everything? Yes. So um, I have a blog, the Dougie Style Club. It's a D O U G Y S T Y L E Club. Uh, one word. Put the links in the uh, notes. Yes. Um, and it's basically a gay man's take on popular music. I just talk about music from any genre era. I feel like, but I just always do it through a queer and it's kind of half music critique but also half like almost diary of like my life growing up um, as a queer kid um, and what music really meant to me so I've written about everything from pop divas to classic rock to new queer artists but I did this year which is probably how you discovered me I did a 25 article series called gay for grunge where I really went through all the major bands that meant a lot to me growing up in high school and college and beyond Um, as a queer person I've written Three articles for Pearl Jam in there where I talked about them, but also did separate countdowns for the early 90s and for their later career. Um, but I've also talked about Nirvana and Soundgarden and Alice in Chains and Hole and Garbage and Smashing Pumpkins and Stone Temple Pilots and Bush and Collective Soul and what have you. Um, so if you want to hear me talk more about grunge, um, you can head over there. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at DougieStyle4, the number four. I'm on Instagram at Douglas Evesick, but parentheses DougieStyle. And I do have a Facebook group, uh, the Dougie Style Club, uh, that you can join where I post um, all my new articles as well as playlist updates because I also have a playlist um, on Spotify, Dougie Style Club. It's updated every month. It's mostly new queer music um, from independent artists, so it's a little different. But if you do find me on Spotify, you will see I'm a playlist fiend and I have playlists <laughs> for grunge, 
Um, I have playlists for all the grunge bands, but I also have playlists like I have timelines for 90s alternative where I do everything chronologically from like 90 through 99. Um, I'm really into that <laughs> in general timeline playlists. Um, so if you want to experience the 90s from start to finish uh, for alternative rock, you can find my 90s alternative timeline playlist on there too. All right. Thanks. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on. It was real good talking to you, man. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, as you can tell, I like talking about grunge. So um, <laughs> any opportunity I have to talk about grunge, uh, I'm, I will take it. Heck yeah.